start a briefing. Welcome to episode 2 of Chief of Station. My name is Efren Torres and I am here with Pilar de la Mine, your other Chief of Station. Uh, today we're going to be discussing various topics on private sector intelligence with our very special guest, Lucas Torrain. Uh, before we get into subject, I'd like to first give you a caveat that all the points of views and comments provided in this recording are uh, solely our opinion and not the, uh, the opinion of any corporation, government entity, uh, or, or any other third party. This is uh, our point of view, our opinion, and only ours. Uh, Lucas, uh, would you mind introducing yourselves to the audience? Uh, good, uh, good morning or good afternoon, wherever you are in the world today. Uh, my name is Lucas Therene. Uh I'm an intelligence analyst uh, in the security sector of uh, my company. Um, I, my background in short is I have about five years of being a military intelligence officer in the United States Army National Guard. And on the private sector side, about three and a half years of uh, being in my position as an intelligence analyst, now senior intelligence analyst, so the, the, the head of my team um, at my company. Uh, before that, uh, education-wise, I, um, I have my bachelor's degree in criminal justice from Iowa State University. So being a stereotypical college graduate, that's doing something completely different than went to college for. <laughs> Uh, that being said, uh, Lucas, so uh, we've known each other for a while, right? and when when we first uh, met each other, uh, you were uh, what was your position at the time? Uh, was it uh, was it a mid level or junior analyst position? It was a uh, junior. Um, so at junior. the time, yep, yep, at the yep, junior, right? So, um, and you had just transitioned from uh, the military into private sector. That's correct. I had just came off of um, an active duty tour for a year. And uh, so just off of active duty and then with the Army National Guard, still still just drilling uh, one week a month. Mm -hmm. So still in the military, but working full time in the private sector. Great. Now, some of the members of the audience, they may, they may have military backgrounds. So why don't you tell us about that transition uh, from the military into the private sector in an, in an intelligence related role? Yeah, for sure. So during my deployment, I acted as the um, the head intelligence person for my um, aviation support battalion. Uh, so I was charged pretty much with providing my uh, my unit's leadership uh, with the situation in the country that we're in, um, the region as a whole was going on, as well as specifically where our base was and location to the surrounding area, what was going on there. Um, and also was able to take part in being a part of the uh, the design and implementation of a, a base security program. Um, so in short, it's, it's pretty much just was providing a, a senior leadership within the unit, within the intelligence or in the information they needed uh, to make decisions. Um, and then from there, uh, that's when during my deployment is actually why I interviewed for my current uh, my current job now with my current company. Um, and everything I was doing really lined up with their, uh, with what my, the intelligence team that my company was doing, uh, largely because it had to do with, again, physical security, um, looking for information uh, online or being provided those intelligence reports from an outside party, um, analyzing them, pretty much taking complex ideas and complex situations, taking the so what or the what's important, providing that to stakeholders, or in this case, my uh, unit's leadership, and saying, hey, here's the information. Is it sufficient to what you need to make the decisions that you need to make? 
um, or do you need more information? I can go get that for you in order to facilitate you uh, uh, making that decision. So everything really lined up easily there. Uh, at the same time, too, during my deployment, I was conducting a, uh, a daily intelligence report, one that went to senior leadership and then one to the general uh, and I was going to say employee population, but this is, uh, the soldiers in the unit as a whole, uh, kind of just giving summaries uh, of what's going on in the region. Um, so that way they're kept aware of it, uh, primarily because, hey, every day if you're, you know, you're on guard duty or wherever your job is in the unit, you're probably not keeping yourself aware of you know, what's going on that can apply to you on base. Um, so pretty much just providing them with the, hey, this is what's important, this is what's relevant, and this is what just happened. Um, so they don't have to go and try and find that themselves. And also, so they're kept aware of the situation as a whole. From there, that actually transitioned again into what my uh, intelligence job does now uh, with providing intelligence reports, not just to a unit of uh, around 300 people or 300 soldiers, uh, but, uh, you know, the thousands of people being on the distribution list for this private sector job. Um, so a lot of that stuff applied from what I was doing on a daily basis during my deployment mm -hmm. and to what I'm doing on a daily basis in my uh, intelligence analyst role in the private sector. I was going to ask you about that, but tell me uh, how, how, in terms of transitions, and I understand that uh, some folks, they have a, a longer a period of getting used to it when they transition from the intelligence community, say a three-letter agency into the private sector. Um, how long did it take you to get used to uh, how corporate uh, intelligence, corporate security departments um, were doing things when compared to your previous military life? Yeah, so it did take me a while. I'd say it definitely took me a couple of months to, um, I want to say, ease up or not be so kind of tense about things. Um, and maybe that's especially coming off of deployment, but it's actually something I've seen too with uh, peers um, that are coming from, like you said, there's three layer agencies or from a military background into this kind of corporate situation in intelligence role, uh, specifically because almost like um, hypervigilance where it's like, hey, have you seen this? This is happening. Does this affect us? And like really kind of getting spun up um, where it's like, you know, hey, actually our exposure to this might be minimal you know, considering what's going on. Um, and then also, so that kind of, I'd say that took me a couple months at least kind of being like, okay, not everything, uh, especially being a company, just to give some background, being a company that has uh, uh, international presence, um, you know, not trying to look for every single thing that can affect every single office location um, and looking at it like it's a, it's a really direct threat, right? Um, and then on the kind of the more the working side of things, um, coming from a, a deployment, a military background uh, into corporate America, it was kind of like I was almost. Everything was almost too nice, I guess I almost want to say where, you know, I, it's, uh, everything's so structured, everything's still regulated, mm -hmm. um, but it's kind of easier to uh, to talk to, you know, a couple uh, levels up higher in the chain of command than it would be in a military, you know, depending on what the situation is. Right. But, you know, I couldn't go and talk to my boss's boss's boss in the military. Uh, Cause then I'd have to explain to the rest of their, the people under them, why I skipped over them compared to in the private sector. Where it's like, Hey, I have an issue. I'm going to take this higher to the top because, you know, time is pressing. Um, if that makes sense. So I, I think those are the two things that for me personally, and what I've seen at least in my, a couple of peers in the, in this job, 
um, have ran to, I'd think those are the two things that kind of seem to be kind of universally uh, something that hits them, cover the military to the private sector. What was your immediate, uh, uh, I don't know, your, uh, how you perceive the, the nature of the work uh, once you were in, uh, in the corporate world uh, in terms of the, the nature of the job, right? So the, the way that you address threats in, in, in a corporate environment much different than obviously how you do it in the military. So in terms of getting from one nature of the job, the way that military does things into the way that you're reporting things in, in, in private sector intelligence units, how do you find that transition? And uh, did it get, what was it maybe, were you trying to, and I'm, address, I'm addressing right now the uh, still your transition period, right? Uh, your mindset, uh, were you, I don't know, Were you worried that you were not reporting enough on the threats? Did you want to report on everything uh, just because of your previous mindsets, uh, your previous uh, work culture? Uh, did you find it weird that you only needed to report on, on certain things but not others? How was it? Yes, no, that's, I, that's a great question. Yeah, that's something that, um, that was the case for me for sure was, like I said, with an international presence for the company, um, being like, okay, every country has its own specific issue. And then how does that relate to the company, right? Um, uh, so it's like, you know, we have to watch out for, you know, in, in this city, in this country, there's this problem, right? So we have to keep an eye on the crime rates here because, you know, the offices are based in a bad area. And, oh, there's a shooting there yesterday that was like two miles away. It had nothing to do with the company, right? Um, but it's like, should we report on that? Or, you know, there's a, a significant weather event, like a winter storm that's going to affect this area. You know, do we need to reflect on that? So many things I was like, okay, like what's, what is actually, you know, what's the exposure and what needs to be reported on or taking action on, right? So that took me a while um, to kind of narrow that in and be like, okay, you know, not everything is affecting, you know, that office or that area. So reporting on feeling that feeling of needing to report on everything and then coming to the realization that, hey, you know, being able to identify and reporting just what's practical or what's necessary definitely took me a while to get used to. Um, and with the other thing too, uh, going from the military side and the unit to being, hey, I've identified something here are actual actionable options that the unit can take to, you know, either mitigate this risk or, you know, deploy something um, compared to, again, an international presence being like, okay, so I've identified this is going to, you know, could affect the company, but I'm sitting here working from home at the time. <laughs> I can't just be like, Hey, you know, you, you have to do this or that. And I can't exactly tell these different offices what to do. Right. So really mm -hmm. trying to figure out like, Hey, like, uh, you know, where, where is, where am I most applicable or most uh, in, what's my best use as an intelligence analyst? I will say in this position so far, the quickest way to summarize that transition is just being, Hey, you're going from actively trying to identify something and take action to, and sometimes being uh, an early warning Um, in order to facilitate the time and awareness for people that can take action, those regions or at those offices. Um, so they're aware of the situation and they can make the decisions themselves to take whatever action they deem is uh, appropriate. Oh, well, well um, so eventually you did make the transition, you know, moving from a sort of military uh, sort of institution towards 
uh, you know, the private sector and that and that whole corporate setup. And initially, you may have started in a more junior role, but um, ever since ever since you did conclude uh, the um, IPIP program, that you you have you know sort of um, upgraded into into a more managerial role, which sort of allows you some bandwidth to exercise some a little bit of the intelligence requesting, so to speak. So looking into into the sort of um, expectations that the company needs to be fulfilled, and you know, a sort of understanding from a from a huge holistic perspective. So, um, how would you sort of describe that journey that you know you come into an aspect where you're being given requests that you know do this do this do this and then moving to to a part where you participate in actually crafting the intelligence request which obviously requires for you to have an understanding of what the company's not only strategic outlook is but its needs its sensitivities and its vulnerabilities in order to in order for you to push analysts to perform and actually uh, deliver uh, something which is of worth to you. Definitely. So with that being said, yeah, I come from a junior position where it's, you know, being told, hey, you know, we have offices or employees on travel or anything like this in these locations, you know, specifically look out for this or specifically write, write in this way to tell me this. And then came pretty much being told, hey, this is what you're looking out for, right? And now I'm the one saying, hey, this is what you need to look out for um, and trying to communicate that in a way that, you know, uh, is stepping away in a sense, stepping away or letting go of the wheel um, and letting the other person drive that kind of intelligence function. Um, the biggest thing with that is really uh, that transition has been, for me, this is my own personal thing, but it's kind of difficult. I'm a kind of person that's difficult, kind of like let go of the wheel and uh, let the other person drive, right? Like, hey, you know, look out for, you know, the specific um, protest series going on like uh, in Chile, right? Uh, you know, instead of just assign it and really learn how to communicate or excuse me, assign in, then say, okay, you bring me the information and this is what I want to see, Right. Um, instead of just going and finding it myself. I think for me, that's been kind of a learning curve. Um, the biggest learning curve for that, right, is not only with uh, kind of the daily duties of what to monitor for, but when we get kind of requests for information or specific requests for a report to be written, um, identifying what, what I want them to truly look for and making sure I communicate that uh, thoroughly, right? So if I say, you know, I want statistics on COVID-19 in America. That's a huge generalization, right? And that's can be easily just, you know, hey, go do this. But me needing to learn to be like, okay, I want statistics on, you know, uh, deaths per day per state or at the state level, right? Or, you know, vaccine roll at the state level and what vaccines are being used, you know, really listen that out um, in a comprehensive way, you know, that's not just, hey, here's a generalization, go do this and then come back with something that's a huge amount of information. I maybe only want five things from, um, that's been the, lear- the biggest learning curve for me is to better communicate what I want and how I want it presented. All right. Well, uh, you know, we, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we uh, spend quite a lot of time, you know, 
educating people that uh, uh, you don't necessarily need a government or military or law enforcement background in order to be of higher value in terms of the hiring aspects in the private sector. However, um, I think that on the flip side, there's a lot of people from that kind of background also, especially as well as military and intelligence, who uh, are definitely looking to hedge most of their professional bets in the private sector off of the fact that they have this stern training from a government perspective and that that lays a solid foundation. And um, obviously they do want to make a lot of use for that. But um, sometimes there's, there's some limitations in the way that um, that sort of mindset in a very structured environment uh, sets you out to achieve the intelligence function. Um, so based off of your experience, um, what would you say are the things that people who are coming from a military intelligence background should sort of look out for in, in terms of the sort of shift over that, you know, emphasize this or, you know, uh, be aware that this doesn't really fly in this particular area or remodel yourself in this way or this other way. Um, because I think that that has value for a lot of people who want to make the break into the private sector. No, definitely. I think that's a really good point and something that, um, yeah, getting that kind of guidance ahead of time will be definitely helpful. So for, for me, my own personal experience, right. Um, coming into it, I think one of the important things is if you come into this role, you know, either from a, a, a government job or a military background, um, definitely getting seen and being told specifically what your, your, your duty is, right. Have them listed out. Um, might not be the case for everybody, but sometimes it's kind of, there's, you know, Hey, what are the five things that we specifically are assigned to do, you know, on a regular basis? And then do we have kind of background things going on that we're also responsible for? For instance, like, you know, the, the things we do on a daily basis, is it monitor, uh, you know, international locations for things that could affect them from a safety or security aspect, you know, write a report on that, uh, monitor executive travel and do risk assessments for, you know, primary duties. And then the background, um, make sure that, you know, what are you also responsible for? So you're also responsible for the standard operating procedures or SOPs or uh, processes for other programs. Um, so travel to, uh, you know, travel, excuse me, business travel to locations that your company has deemed to be kind of elevated travel risk. You know, do you have a part in that where you have to supply what countries that your team assesses are elevated travel risks, right? Or are you also in the background supposed to be monitoring for where your uh, employees are uh, expatriates are located in different countries? You know, are you responsible for briefing them before they go to that country and providing them for the information they need before they get on the ground? Um, that's something, uh, talking to peer groups and from my own experience, where maybe that's not completely listed or, you know, it's kind of just brought up like, hey, by the way, responsible for this. But again, that list of things like, hey, no joke, here's like the 10 things that we're directly responsible for. And, you know, the other stuff in the background that we might be assigned, um, getting that right away, super helpful and make sure you have a firm understanding of that. Um, the other thing too, uh, going to that is also identifying what the process is, you know, is there a daily, a daily routine that the, the team does or daily products that the team does or supplies um, and get into the groove of that really fast. 
um, and make sure that you're, you're facilitating that in the right way. So for instance, um, if you do a daily intelligence report, for instance, uh, really, or excuse me, if your team's doing a daily intelligence report, for instance, facilitate, like identify, Hey, you know, what will my role in that be? Do you want me to be the sender of it? Do you have a specific time this needs to be sent out? Um, and you know, what, what do I best do, uh, to, to help make that report happen. And, and the third thing with the things to look out for is really identify too, what, what's the scope of your responsibility, uh, or excuse me, more, what's the scope of your, your company's exposure, right? Do you have just offices or work from home employees or business travel only within the U S or do you have them in other countries? And then what does that situation look like, um, throughout the whole of the company as a whole, um, and really understanding, okay, what, what countries am I looking for or what, you know, specific areas am I supposed to be monitoring? Um, because that, the only reason I bring that up is that's where it can kind of get kind of um, difficult. If you don't do that, it can be difficult to really narrow down what to report on, what to look out for, right? Because if you can look for things going on in the entire world, when really what you need to be looking for is things going on in, you know, wherever you have offices, like, um, you know, the UK, you know, why, why look elsewhere? If it's something that doesn't even have to affect your your, uh, your company's exposure, at the same time, though, I will caveat by saying, really familiar yourself. If it's part of responsibility, familiarize yourself with where your employees are doing business travel to, um, because wherever they you have an employee, um, you have an exposure. So if you don't have a, a, a office or a work from home employee in Hong Kong, right? But you have employees that go to Hong Kong all the time. Well, there you go. Hong Kong has just became a place to keep your eye out for uh, exposure to things that could affect your company uh, through those employees on business travel. Um, but those would be the main three things uh, to look out for uh, as positives uh, to kind of get the ball rolling hit the ground running uh, when you come into a company. And the only thing hindrance wise, like I spoke of before is really try not to burn yourself out with looking at everything in the world. Well, again, you should just be looking at those very specific things um, to whatever you're told is important to look out for. Now, I want to shift gears a little bit, and I want to touch on a topic that, well, at one point, we all need to do this. Uh, how do you explain to people what you do, right? Uh, and actually, I've had to do this uh, just this past weekend. I had to clarify sort of the type of intelligence I do. Uh, and, you know, it's becoming, it, it's something, it's becoming more frequent where I need to clarify that, well, you know, I, I do this type of intelligence. I am not doing competitive intelligence. How do you explain to people what you do? And have you encountered this uh, often or not? Yeah, for sure. And that was something that was very difficult for me. Uh, also transitioning was in the military, it was easy to be like, hey, this is what I did when I was on deployment because I had one specific job, right? Um, but then going to the private side, being an intelligence analyst on the private side, it took me a while to get used to identifying or even explain, hey, you know, in two senses, this is why I do. Um, the main thing I tell people now, and beforehand, I, I maybe self-deprecating would be like, you know, I'm like a a glorified travel agent because I'm always looking at for things that can affect employees and business travel. Right. Or I'll be like, no, I'm, I'm like, I do like Jack Ryan stuff, except I never leave my desk and I don't have an eight pack. 
you know, that kind of stuff. But really for me uh, in my position um, right now, and again, other people might, other intelligence analysts, uh, they might do, like you were saying, they might do competitive intelligence or anything like that. But for me, being really strictly safety and security, uh, the thing I really summarize by saying is, what I do on a daily basis is monitor international events for things that could affect or could be a threat to the safety and security of my company's uh, offices, work from home employees, um, executives or senior level leadership, uh, expatriates, and employees on business travel. Um, so I monitor events that could do that, whether they're in the immediate, as in they just happened, or I, their forecasted events are upcoming. Um, so, you know, if there's tensions rising in a certain country, uh, that there could be, you know, violent protests uh, that could erupt, um, whether it's a significant weather event like a hurricane that's going to affect an area, um, a large, large list of anything that could affect them or the company as a whole or it has exposure to, I monitor for those things, provide that information to the appropriate stakeholders uh, so that way they have early awareness and are able to uh, be aware of the situation, also have time to prepare for it uh, and take steps to mitigate that risk uh, posed by whatever the event that is. This profession has many names. <laughs> and I, I guess every company uh, sees intellig the intelligence function through different lenses, right? So we know, for example, you can call it travel security, you can call it protective intelligence, private sector intelligence, uh, what would you call it? What you do? Um, I definitely. <laughs> that's I, that's tricky, right? Ah, man, these are, these are getting tough questions here. Uh, I'd say, I'd say protective intelligence from my my point of my my position, um, since it largely has to do with safety and security. Um, mm -hmm. I think protective intelligence would be the best uh, application I have for that. And then with benchmarking. Um, with other groups, uh, you know, trying to and benchmarking and like, hey, this is happening. What are your guys' opinion on it? Um, usually, those questions and that information sharing largely usually has to do with um, safety and security. So I, I'd say protective, protective intelligence to me is the most appropriate title for that. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, nevertheless, if if you look up on LinkedIn, trying to look for a job on. on in private sector, it, it's almost impossible because every other company names it differently. Uh, but I, I want to ask you now about mentoring, right? How, how are you mentoring uh, uh, your direct reports? Uh, they're, they're junior analysts. What do you think is uh, the, the most important thing that they need to understand that maybe, and this applies to, oh, not necessarily to your direct reports, but um, uh, Junior analysts in general, maybe including yourself when you started, uh, what is the most challenging uh, concept that they need to understand, especially those that do not necessarily have any ba background or experience in government, military or IC? I'd say communicating that uh, that list of responsibilities is easy to do, but then communicating the process um, and the people that are are kind of a part of that process is kind of the hard part. Um, and I, I've seen that I, I've experienced this both as a, as a junior intelligence analyst with a peer, uh, junior intelligence analyst, I just became, you know, just came on the job. So here's my peer, I'm bringing them up to speed. And also 
um, from a senior, uh, a senior position, hiring a junior and bringing them in, um, definitely trying to get them on board with, hey, this is what we do. Um, this is how we do it, right? And this is what you, and this is why it's important to look out for. Um, that's kind of generalizing it a little bit, right? But I think I think I have those things really trying to address the same issues I explained that I had when I came in initially where, you know, everything looks like it's important um, and then really narrow it down to saying like good catch finding that, but that's not important because it doesn't affect us or we don't have exposure to it. Right. Or it's really not our lane. Um, and this is a, a, in, throughout the past couple of years, cybersecurity, for instance, is one of these things, right. Where tons of cybersecurity benchmarking things come up or, you know, reports that we find, but we're not cybersecurity intelligence analysts, right. We have a different cybersecurity team that does that and we could pass that over to them. Um, but we don't take action on it. So trying to, trying to communicate that, that, you know, the, what's important and really narrowing down the scope of responsibility to what we actually should be looking at. Um, it was difficult for me is difficult for my, uh, my peer junior. Um, and then right now it's been easy for me, for my, my, uh, my junior intelligence analyst uh, we just hired um he has adapted a lot faster than i did so he's making it easy on me um but that's that's the biggest thing i'd say great and uh, i also i want to ask you any uh, a few other questions related to, for example to your perce- perception of um available training in, in in intelligence from private sector uh, providers uh, but um, that'll have to wait. Uh, I, I want to wrap up uh, part one uh, of this incredible interview uh, with uh, our man, Lucas Thorain. Uh, thank you very much for uh, taking the time today uh, to, to speak with us. And um, we'll continue with this interview uh, in the second part to be released uh, next week. So I, I really appreciate Lucas for taking the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Definitely great talking to you both again, again, Cobb. Again, thanks for having me on today. Absolutely. End of briefing. <laughs>